You're listening to Rounding at Rush, a Rush University Medical Center podcast that features the latest clinical advances, research, and innovations. I'm your host, Dan Dean. We welcome Dr. Rosalinda Alvarado and Dr. Deanna Shadag to the podcast today to talk about breast surgical oncology and plastic reconstructive surgery. Dr. Alvarado is a breast surgeon experienced in breast conserving surgery, mastectomy, including nipple sparing mastectomy, oncoplastic surgery, sentinel node biopsy, and breast cancer prevention and risk reduction. Dr. Shanak specializes in both implant-based and autologous reconstruction after breast cancer and in microvascular techniques for lymphedema treatment, including lymph node transfer and lymphovenous bypass procedures. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. So let's set the table with our conversation and talk about first the range of services offered for both surgical oncology and plastic reconstructive surgery when treating patients with breast cancer. Um, So I would say that in general, it's really important to kind of meet the patient where they're at, um, establish their diagnosis, and get into the intricacies of what their treatment is going to involve. From an oncology side, I'm very focused on, is this patient likely to need chemotherapy, radiation therapy, or sometimes just surgery? And then if it's just surgery, are they a candidate for some kind of reconstructive process? Um, In the setting of lumpectomy, something that we consider could be oncoplastic surgery, which Dr. Shanak will touch on in a little bit. They're having a mastectomy and they are a candidate for um, reconstruction um, in the immediate setting, then that is something that needs to be considered as well. Most patients, I would say, are going to be a candidate for some kind of reconstructive procedure um, unless they have significant comorbidities or their breast cancer is so advanced that um, the skin would not be able to be safely saved. But otherwise, all of these things need to be taken into account when collaborating and coordinating their care. So from a plastic surgery and a reconstructive perspective, uh, we offer the full gamut of reconstruction, meaning we utilize the latest techniques in both alloplastic or implant-based reconstruction and autologous reconstruction, meaning using your own tissue. So that can mean a variety of things. Um, from an autologous tissue, we take flaps or tissue from anywhere in the body um, and either pedicle them on its own blood supply or reconnect the blood supply using my vascular techniques, which is what I specialize in. So the most common flap procedure we perform is um, a deep flop, which is taking the skin and fat from the abdomen and connecting to its blood supply in the chest. Um, But certainly if someone is not a candidate for that because they've had a previous, you know, tummy tuck or abdominoplasty, we can take flaps other areas in the body. In terms of our implant-based reconstruction, um, We offer both two-stage or direct-to-implant breast reconstruction, typically done in front of the muscle, in select cases behind the muscle. And then as Dr. Alvarado mentioned, we also offer what we call oncoplasty, which is basically breast reconstruction done at the time of lumpectomy to minimize the deformity created by the lumpectomy. That being said, we use a lot of adjunctive techniques too to support our reconstructions, including back grafting. The other thing that's important to note is that we offer resensitization or resensation to the breast, which is hooking up the nerves during a flap procedure. And then we also offer, in conjunction with breast reconstruction, lymphatic treatments, as well as as preventative lymphatic treatments. 
So part of the reason that you're both uh, here today joining us on the podcast is just the way you work in a multidisciplinary fashion, combining both that surgical oncology and, and plastic reconstructive approach at Rush. So can you elaborate about how you partner together when performing procedures on patients with breast cancer? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, it really matters as far as what they're going to be a candidate for. Um, again, is their cancer small enough um, that it that it would be amenable to breast conserving surgery or a lumpectomy? And if so, um, would they benefit from some kind of oncoplastic reconstruction? And if so, I introduce that um, possibility to the patient and then refer them to the plastic surgeon so that they could be considered for that procedure. Um, if they are going to get a mastectomy um, and they are interested in reconstruction, one of the next things that I think about is, is the cancer in close proximity to the nipple. Is the nipple something that can be preserved um, from an oncologic standpoint? Um, from a cosmetic standpoint, does it make sense? Um, and for those patients, whether they will be sparing the nipple or not, but are interested in reconstruction, we collaborate with the plastic surgeon to try to give them the best uh, reconstructive options um, possible for them, whether it's a direct implant, um, an expander first, or eventually an autologous reconstruction. All of those things are taken into account to both satisfy the patient's needs and desires, but also to do something that's oncologically sound, um, but also will give the patient the result that they uh, really want and are looking for. Yeah, I would second that. I think as a plastic surgeon, it's very important to me to allow Doc Alvarado to do what she needs to do to get the cancer out safely and have a negative margin. And my main goal is not only to prevent, you know, to allow the cancer to come out safely and prevent recurrence, but also to do um, the reconstruction in the most aesthetically pleasing way as possible. And there is a lot of sort of dialogue between her and I behind the scenes that goes on in terms of incision placement. Can we save this person's nipple? Um, because that may mean if we can save the nipple, she's a candidate for a direct to implant. Is this patient going to get radiation? If so, and she wants a flap, are, are we going to take the chance of radiating the flap? So there's a lot of tuck behind the scenes. And I think, you know, it's great to work with um, someone like Dr. Alvarado and our breast surgeons here at Rush that are so open and so appreciate the cosmesis of the reconstruction too. And I think, I think that's really important um, to have in your breast surgical oncologist as well. She and I sort of plan the incisions together. We mark them. Dr. Alvarado is often present um, for the markings at the time of the surgery. And we sort of talk and go hand in hand um, you know, how she's going to do her operation and then and then the techniques that I'm going to use um, afterwards. So given how much time that you plan these surgeries in advance, are there instances where you have to adjust your treatment sort of on the fly or change the reconstructive approach once you get into a case? I mean, totally. I think we go into surgery with plan A, but I always have plan B, C, and D in the back of my mind. So if Dr. Alvarado, the morning of surgery says, hey, I need to take this again, we didn't plan for it, then I'll adjust my incision. Or, hey, you know, we thought um, we could spare the nipple and now we can't, then, then we plan for it, obviously, with the patient's consent. Um, so I think it's really important. Yes, you can go in with a plan A, but we always have plan B and C. Um, in the back of our head. 
Absolutely. Um, sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen often because we have such good preoperative imaging and diagnostics. So we have a good idea of the size of tumor and how close or far away they are from the skin, um, the chest wall, things like this. But every now and again, we will find that a cancer is a little bit more superficial than we thought. And so maybe the incision has to change a little bit or some skin needs to be taken that we didn't necessarily plan on before. But again, Dr. Shanak and I work closely together and communicate to do this in a way that wouldn't necessarily very much compromise their aesthetic outcome, but at the end of the day, do what we feel is oncologically the safest thing to do. Depending on the case, we find out during the operation that the lymph node is involved with breast cancer. So we know that that's going to possibly lead to eventual radiation therapy. So that may impact the way Dr. Shanak approaches the reconstruction as well. So these are things that are constantly going through our minds and how we're adjusting our plan, both preoperatively, intraoperatively, and of course, afterwards. I would emphasize that too. It's really important afterwards, you know, to make sure that we're still working with our multidisciplinary team. And so, you know, if we find out that someone needs radiation or chemotherapy after surgery, we're adjusting our sort of our post-operative visits. We're making sure that we can get patients expanded as quickly as possible to get onto their adjuvant treatment. And obviously making sure that there is no wound healing issue or issues after surgery so that they can get onto their next step of treatment as quickly as possible without any delays in care. So Dr. Shanak, if radiation is involved, I would assume that that would change the type of reconstructive approach that you would take can you talk about that a little bit? I know we're going to get into the different kinds of reconstructive procedures, but how does radiation impact the way you approach the reconstructive portion? Sure. I think, you know, radiation is um, not uncommon in our treatments of breast cancer right now. And we as plastic surgeons, we need to be able to still deliver, you know, impeccable cosmetic results, even in the face of radiation. And I think it starts off from our preoperative visit and our counseling. Some patients we know way ahead of time that their lymph node is positive and that they will move on to radiation. Some patients, unfortunately, it's a surprise during surgery. Typically, uh, with radiation, can either do regardless and an implant-based reconstruction or a flat-based reconstruction. Implants in the setting of radiation are not as reliable. Um, they can have complications such as capsular contracture, wound healing complications, and issues such as that. Um, I tend not to radiate my flaps, um, and the reason is that our flap from the abdomen is, is sort of our gold standard for reconstruction in the setting of radiation. And in some patients, radiating a flap can lead to fat necrosis, chronic seromas, or shrinkage of the tissue. So if I know someone is going to have radiation and I know that prior to surgery, I tend to place a tissue expander and then do a delayed flap reconstruction following a waiting period after radiation. If someone is not a candidate for a flap or really doesn't want to pursue a flap and they're a candidate for a direct-to-implant reconstruction, um, we go that route, but I do counsel patients that after radiation, they may need a revision surgery um, or fat grafting to sort of enhance the cosmesis. I also counsel them that, you know, implant-based reconstruction in the setting of radiation, as I mentioned previously, can have issues such as capsular contracture. And when that capsular contracture significantly affects cosmesis or causes pain in the breast, our backup plan is to do an autolysis reconstruction in that scenario. I want to dive a little deeper about the types of breast reconstruction procedures. So 
both the applications and advantages for deep flap or deep interior epigastric perforator flap surgery or DTI, which is direct to implant surgery. Can you talk about both of those and your uses of them and advantages of them and so forth? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And that's what I really spend the majority of our visits with patients preoperatively counseling them on their options. It's really important for patients to understand that they have options for breast reconstruction. And I'm here to sort of guide you and what I think the best option is for you. But there are two very different options. So, Um, Implant-based reconstruction is either done in a single stage or two stages, Um, and it sort of depends on the um, patient's goal in terms of the size or the outcome that they want to have. Do they want to be lifted? Do they want to be smaller, et cetera? It also depends on whether we're preserving the nipple or not. And um, it also depends um, on logically on what Dr. Alvarado or breast surgeons feel uh, needs to be done at the time of mastectomy. And that is whether we choose someone is a candidate for a direct to implant versus a two stage with a tissue expander reconstruction. So if someone um, is having a lot of skin removed, then typically they need an expander um, to stretch out that skin that was taken uh, from the mastectomy to restore them to their preoperative state. And then um, depending on whether they need radiation postoperatively, a second stage reconstruction is done between three and six months later to remove that expander and place an implant. In certain patients, there are candidates for autologous or using your own tissue. Uh, So that reconstruction avoids the use of an implant. Um, And so basically during that, we're taking um, the majority of donor sites are from the abdomen. So we're taking skin and fat from the abdomen with its blood supply and connecting it to blood supplies in the chest so that that tissue lives on its own. And that's why where the name flap comes from, because it has its own blood supply. That reconstruction is a more natural reconstruction. Uh, it ages with time. So I tell patients that reconstruction will last for the rest of your life. If you gain weight, that tissue will behave like the abdomen and it will get bigger. If you lose weight, it will get smaller. Unlike an implant-based reconstruction where implants just kind of stay the same size over time. So, you know, our bodies will change over time. So, and your implants may not necessarily change with them. So an implant also is not a lifetime device. So at some point in your life, you may need to have your implant swapped out either changed because your body changes or for rupture or whatnot. There are a variety of reasons. With a flap reconstruction, that is your reconstruction for the rest of your life. So that is the major advantage of it. One of the disadvantages of a flap reconstruction is that it is a more complicated procedure. So it does take longer in the operating room to perform um, and the recovery um, is a little bit longer than doing an implant-based reconstruction where when you're doing the exchange procedure, it's a couple hours in and out surgery, same day surgery, and the recovery is much easier on you. And so Dr. Alvarado, from your perspective with the mastectomy, what sort of considerations do you have to, to take in outside of treating the cancer in order to prepare that patient for that reconstructive procedure? Right. So oftentimes when I see patients, they haven't met with Dr. Shanak yet because I'm the first person they're meeting. And once I have a really good sense of what they're interested in and what their goals are and what I feel they're a good oncologic candidate for, I can try to better prepare them 
for their visit with Dr. Shanak. So for example, if a patient is really interested in trying to have the least procedures possible, um, but wants a reconstruction, um, if they look like a reasonable uh, candidate for a direct-to-implant, then I will introduce that concept to them. And then always say, will ultimately depend on, you know, Dr. Shanak thinking that you are a good candidate for this as well. But I try to introduce them to what I think they would be a good candidate for. And for patients that desire that, but may not be the best candidates, I try to prepare them as well and say, really to get the best oncologic and aesthetic outcome, I do think you'd be better served by a two or three stage procedure so that they go into Dr. Shanak's visit with that mindset that they may not be able to get everything done at just one procedure. So I really try to tailor my conversation to the individual issues or concerns that the patient may have, but also what seems or would be reasonable given the state of their cancer, its location, and what I think is the safest thing to do. And that way, hopefully, they go into Dr. Shanak's appointment, maybe not knowing everything, but just having enough background to be prepared for that visit and hopefully be met halfway as far as, you know, what we can give them, but what we feel as physicians is safe and the best outcome for them. I think um, that's a really important point that Dr. Alvarado brings up, and I think she does a very good job of preparing the patient for their plastic surgery visit. It is important to note that with reconstruction, it's so personalized, and so we're talking in general, but really the reconstruction is tailored to every specific patient because everyone's breast is different. Everyone's cancer is different. So these are just the general options. What works for one woman may not always be what's best for the next. And I think that's what's really important that you have sort of a personalized plan for cancer care, including the reconstruction. So I want to back the timeline up just a little bit for when patients are first seen, um, first by you, Dr. Alvarado, and, and then Curious about how both of you, and starting with you, how do you manage that tension between patient expectations on what they want their breast to look like after reconstruction versus what is deemed necessary oncologically? Um, how do you sort of navigate those waters with the patient so that they're you obviously take care of their cancer and then they're both happy with the cosmetic outcome at the end? Yeah, and I think that there is a large spectrum of the way patients um, kind of receive the information that they have breast cancer. Some women will say, do whatever you need to do. I don't care what this looks like. I just want to be cured of the cancer. And there are women who literally want to look exactly the same that they did before their cancer diagnosis after their surgery. And so I try to really talk to the patient, again, given their individualized case and kind of tell them what I think is possible and what I think is reasonable and what I think won't be possible because I don't try to overpromise um, what I don't think is realistic. Because again, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to um, do something that is oncologically sound, but also leave them with something that they're going to be satisfied and happy with. And I think if a patient comes in and says, I don't care what this looks like when we're done, I just want to be cured. Most of the time I can actually tell them, this is going to look a lot better than you're thinking in your mind. You know, breast cancer surgery has come a long way. We um, are able to hide scars better. Um, we have great reconstructive options if you decide to go that route. So there's really a lot of things that we can do. Um, sometimes, you know, I can do something small 
that doesn't even require Dr. Shanak's help. But when it's a more major oncoplastic or reconstructive surgery, then of course I involve her. So it really varies from patient to patient. Um, but it's really having a good, honest conversation with the patient. And I know what my abilities are and I know what certain cancers behave like. And I try to educate the patient as much as I can to tell them what I feel is safe to do and what I think is unrealistic or not a good goal to have. And hopefully the patient understands and we are able to work together to come up with something that's going to work for them. And oftentimes we can, because again, we have come a long way with our techniques and uh, collaboration with um, Dr. Shanak and her colleagues. I, we're really able to deliver really nice oncologic, but aesthetic results as well. Yeah, I think I would echo what Dr. Alvarado has said. I think a lot of patients that I see, um, they're very overwhelmed by their cancer diagnosis. It's very scary. They want the cancer out and to be treated and they don't want it to come back. And that's really at the forefront of their mind. They may not be thinking a year down the road how their breast looks. And for me, that's my job is to, you know, think about the end result and the end goal. And so my job, I try to care up front where some patients may be just focused on their cancer treatment and they say, do whatever you need to do. I don't care what the breast looks like, but you know, in a year they may care and it's okay to care what your breast looks like. And I get that across to patients. They, sh they should care what their breast looks like. I think that's important. And so for me, um, breast reconstructions are sort of at the beginning. Like we need to plan from the first operation to set ourselves up for a nice reconstruction if it's going to be a multi-stage process, et cetera. Um, and so I find that with setting expectations, it's really important to be sort of very direct with patients. If they come in with a photo of someone that has had a breast augmentation, well, that's a very different outcome, even though some of our patients just look like they've had a breast augmentation. Obviously, you know, that may be the goal for some, but it's not always guaranteed with a lot of these adjuvant treatments that they may need, especially in the setting of radiation. So I think it's very important to really, really have multiple conversations with the patient up front to understand what is your goal and then what can we do to get you there. We may be able to get someone their goal, but it may take more than one operation they're not okay with that, then we may have to sort of adjust what our expectations are preoperatively. In general, would echo, you know, what Dr. Alvarado said, really setting preoperative expectations um, from our initial visit uh, is very, very important and to tailor the reconstruction for each individualized patient. In terms of setting expectations, uh, are there any differences in the way you would consult with a male or transgender patient versus a female patient? Well, I think from a reconstructive perspective, it is when I consult with anyone prior to any surgery, prior to any plastic surgery, we always want to know what our goal is. So what type of clothing are they interested in wearing? Uh, are they okay with certain scars, not certain scars? Do they want to keep their nipple? Are they interested in a nipple reconstruction? So all of those questions go into the reconstructive process, no matter sort of what gender you identify with. Yeah, I would completely agree with what Dr. Shanak is saying. I obviously focus most of my conversation on uh, the cancer part of the conversation um, and obviously touch on the aesthetic, but focus on the cancer. And so when I have had male patients with breast cancer or um, transgender uh, patients with breast cancer, 
Um, I, again, I just want to get at what their goals are, you know, um, second to, you know, getting rid of the cancer, what do they want to look like afterwards? And if I need to get Dr. Shanak involved, um, then we get Dr. Shanak involved to help achieve that goal if it's feasible and oncologically sound. For example, if a transgender male develops breast cancer, depending on whether or not the nipple is involved or, or what have you as far as skin involvement, sometimes this could be an opportunity to do their oncologic um, mastectomy but then do the top surgery that they've always wanted. If caught early enough and the skin isn't involved, this may be a good opportunity for that patient to get those things done at the same time. So I'm going to move away from the treatment and reconstruction portion of for breast cancer and talk about a complication that can result from these procedures, which is lymphedema. To level set, can you elaborate on what the condition of lymphedema is? Sure. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit and then let Dr. Shanek get into it because she's the one that does amazing treatments and sometimes preventative procedures for this. But lymphedema um, can affect both the arm and the breast when we're talking about breast cancer. Um, so in breast cancer patients who get breast conserving surgery like a lumpectomy, often that is followed by radiation therapy. And in rare instances, um, there can be lymphedema of the breast, which is swelling or backup of the lymphatics. Um, that is difficult to treat because there is swelling of um, the skin and the tissues, and that can require aggressive massage therapy, um, compression devices to keep that down. Um, when we're dealing with lymphedema of the extremity, usually that is because as a surgeon, I have removed lymph nodes um, as it was necessary to do for their cancer operation. Um, we try to do just a sentinel lymph node biopsy, which is where we're just removing a few lymph nodes. Um, and we try to do that because um, the risk of lymphedema is obviously lower if you remove fewer lymph nodes. But in the instances where we have to do a full axillary dissection because the cancer may be locally advanced or didn't respond well to the chemotherapy they got up front, then the risk of lymphedema goes up. Um, and so those are the cases where um, we may need help from Dr. Shanak and her colleagues to try to either prevent that lymphedema from happening at the time of the index operation, or um, if the operation has happened and they're developing lymphedema afterwards, then um, we would do a referral at that time. Unfortunately, lymphedema is a consequence of mastectomy or mastectomy with sentinel node, less likely, but more likely in the setting of axillary node dissection, even more likely in this when it's combined with radiation. The treatment of lymphedema, there are certainly options, and typically the options that we offer patients are a lymph node transplant, so transplanting lymph nodes from one region um, of the body to another, or lymph node transplant what we call, plus what we call lymphatic bypass, where we bypass the obstructive lymphatic system. We know that preventing lymphedema in the first place is better than treating it on the back end. And so at Roche and what we have um, sort of, and we have a clinical trial open for this now, but what we are offering patients is uh, what we call immediate lymphatic bypass or immediate lymphatic reconstruction at the time of axillary node dissection. So that's how we try to lymphedema surgically. So what that procedure entails is after Dr. Alvarado has done her axillary dissection, basically I come in before I do the reconstructive portion and I inject 
some dye into the upper arm and what we call fluorescine, which helps me identify the lymphatic channels that have been cut during the axillary node dissection. Um, these lymphatic channels um, leak. And so you can tell that with special filters on the microscope and with a special imaging device. We take those cut lymphatics and reroute them into a nearby vein, reconnecting them under the microscope with very fine sutures. And that has been shown to, at least in our patients, decrease the risk of developing lymphedema significantly. It doesn't obviate the risk, it doesn't negate it, it doesn't get zero, but it certainly decreases the risk. And I'm a firm believer that that coupled with lymphedema therapy with certified lymphedema therapists and garment use can help keep the swelling at bay. If that doesn't work, then we can move on to treatment options for lymphedema, as I mentioned before. One last question. Um, I'm always curious to know about the sort of novel treatments, therapies, surgical approaches on the horizon or being implemented at Rush. So can you elaborate on any in the breast surgical realm or the reconstruction realm? One really exciting thing that we've been doing for a few years now at Rush is the non-wire localization of um, tumors that are not palpable. Thankfully, with our great screening is um, breast cancer is detected before it is felt by the patient on a mammogram. And in cases like this, where they want to um, preserve their breast and not get a mastectomy, we need a way as surgeons to be able to localize that tumor. And um, several years ago, what was done is a wire was placed in the breast um, very early in the morning, and then this wire would be hanging out of the woman's breast um, until the time came for surgery. So this is cumbersome, not comfortable for the patient, required a very long day in the hospital, and sometimes these wires could get dislodged. But now we use um, a non-wire technique, um, and this special clip can get placed um, several days or even months prior to the operation. And that way, when the day comes for surgery, they don't have to have this procedure done ahead of time. They're ready to go. And the mask can be accurately um, and precisely removed by us in the operating room. And it has definitely increased patient satisfaction, um, actually lowered the rates of re-excision, um, so need for additional surgeries. And it's really just really um, a great procedure, innovative. More and more hospitals are offering this, but Rush was one of the first in the area to do this as a system. So that's been really exciting. Um, and then having intraoperative x-ray, um, we have an x-ray machine in the operating room with us to assess for margins. Um, we use this pretty regularly in lumpectomies and even use it sometimes in mastectomies when we're trying to ensure that a very superficial um, cancer has been adequately removed and there's no calcifications, for example, approaching the margin, things like that. Um, those were things that were a little more cumbersome to um, kind of figure out on the back end. But now with having this technology in the operating room, we're able to do that right away. So it's really great um, and has helped improve our oncologic outcomes um, for patients. I think we have a lot of exciting techniques in breast reconstruction on the horizon. One of those is a procedure that we call neurotization or resensation of the breast. So unfortunately, after a mastectomy, women typically lose sensation to the breast and the nipple, even if the nipple is preserved. What we can do uh, during autologous reconstruction is take a donor nerve from the abdomen and reconnect it to a nerve that we find in the chest to improve the sensitivity 
sensation to the flap. So in essence, provide patient with some type of sensation after surgery. Another option is to do this, the setting of alloplastic or implant-based reconstruction, which is gaining traction now. And we have started to perform this procedure uh, and select patients who are good candidates for it. So that's something that is um, on the horizon that is exciting. We tend now, there's a movement towards prepectoral or in front of the muscle breast reconstruction. This is not sort of novel or new, um, but we now are able to sort of evaluate our outcomes in this setting. And we're seeing um, patients, at least here with our series at Rush, who are doing a lot better in the setting of radiation with prepectoral breast reconstruction um, compared to retropectoral or behind the muscle reconstruction. We are also looking at ways we can preserve the nipple in patients that have ptosis or a lot of hang to the breast. So patients that have nipples that may not be in the most ideal or aesthetic position prior to surgery. And typically um, in the past, these patients needed to have their nipples removed and then reconstructed later. Uh, now we are using techniques in order to keep the nipple and the blood flow alive and also sort of lift that nipple into the right place um, during the mastectomy. And so that is um, a new technique that um, we are offering patients that are good candidates for that. Well, thank you both for a very informative conversation today. Thank you thank so you. much for having us.